Joey, thank you again for being here. I really do hope you take the opportunity to talk to him afterwards between services and pray about what God wants you to do this year. It really does change a life for all eternity, not just for the moment, not even in the moment of that decision for that lady, but for all eternity, for those that find Jesus in that process. So please pray about that and be a part of it. Next Sunday morning, we're going to do something different that probably most of you have never been experienced to since at least 2002. Men and women in the Christian and Missionary Alliance have the opportunity to pursue licensing, to be a licensed minister in the CNMA, and then in that process, pursue ordination for men and consecration for women. And Connie's the last one here in our staff that was consecrated in 2002 on a Sunday morning service. Next Sunday morning, in both services, we're going to have the opportunity to celebrate the ordination of Bob Thomas and Dave Prentice in the morning service. We're going to talk about leadership. We're going to do that at the end. The district superintendent will be here to be a part of that. So you don't want to miss it because it is one of those, you don't get a chance to be a part of what God is doing at a larger scale here at CAC and beyond that in our district. So please come back next Sunday morning. You have sermon notes in your bulletin, so I encourage you to take them out. I said to you last Sunday, it's kind of a way, these sermon notes, to ramp you up to where we've been. So last Sunday, I gave you a lot of information about seeing clearly. 2020, how can you not use 2020 to talk about being able to see life, see clearly, see the future, and all that goes with that? And next, last Sunday morning and today, we're going to kind of pull all that together and talk about what does it look like when you see down the road? Every time we come to this particular point on a New Year's celebration, we look ahead. What do we see? What's it going to be like? What's this year have? What's it going to hold? What changes will take place? Who's going to come to faith in Christ? Who's going to go to glory? It's just a lot of things that you're going to talk about and celebrate, but you have no idea really what it's going to be like. But you can look back. And I have some of those questions that I had last Sunday morning in your notes. When you look back over the last year, the last decade, what have you seen? What have you seen God do? What have you learned? What have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about God? Where have you grown in your relationship with God? Are you where you want to be? And if not, how can you get there? This morning we're going to talk about living consistently and faithfully all the way to the end. If I were to ask you if you want to finish well, you would all say, of course. I use the phrase, I've used the phrase a dozen times. I want to finish well. I don't know anybody who doesn't. I mean, it's not like you're going to say, well, I wanted to give it my best and then kind of mess it up at the end and see what happens. Nobody does that. We all want to finish well. So it's not a matter of desiring to finish well. The issue is how. What are you doing in your journey right now to make sure that when it's all said and done, you will indeed have finished well? When God, when you know him as your Savior, welcomes you into heaven, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not powerful one, not successful one, not fast one. Wow, you got here sooner than I thought. Wasn't ready for you. No, God's not going to say any of that. Good and faithful servant. Faithful means consistent all the way to the end. I've decided when it's all said and done, I want to do my best. I do want to finish well, but I've made some decisions along the way to make sure I'm able to do that. And so last Sunday morning, we talked about that. What is it like to be able to look down the road and set of these New Year's resolutions that we failed to keep after 14 to 17 days? What if we just decided on a day-to-day basis, 
I will walk faithfully and consistently all the way to the end and see what God does in that journey and how I grow. I gave you in this context a number of sections of Scripture. One that we stopped at a little bit last Sunday morning with Psalm 90. When the writer Moses said, look, I need you to know, if you know anything about the Old Testament, people are no longer going to live 100 years, 200 years, 150 years, 175 years, 900 years. They're going to live about 70 or 80. If you're 35, you're already at midlife. Isn't that encouraging this morning? If you're 40, you're definitely at midlife. Not going to live a long, 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 long time. You're going to live around 70, 80. If by reason of strength you live 80, it's going to be strength, labor, and sorrow. You'll have some strength, but it's also, you know as I do, it's going to deteriorate at that particular point. So in light of that knowledge, now that I know that, God, would you help me to make sure that I use this time frame wisely and well? When you're teens, it seems like forever. When you're 66, that seems like right around the corner. The older I get, the shorter life seems. And you know as well as I do, all of a sudden, here you are at this particular point in your journey. So in light of that knowledge, God, would you make sure, would you help me to clearly make sure that I'm doing my best to use what you've entrusted into my hands, this gift called life, wisely and well, so that when it's all said and done, and I see you face to face, I will have known that I've lived the faithful walk that you've asked me to, so that when you do welcome me home, it is good and faithful service. There's a number of things that I have in your sermon notes this morning. A couple of them we ministered to or talked about last Sunday morning. Those who have this consistent walk learn to value the right things. In other words, they really know what matters. They're able to look at all the things in front of them and they know what's really important. Paul prayed for all of us. He not only prayed for those there that day in Ephesians and Philippians, he prayed for all of us. And one of the things that he prayed for is that, God, would you help your people in light of all the things in front of them to choose what's best? We partner with a number of ministries. Every single person that calls us and says, would you support us? Would you partner with us? They're all great. Not anybody. Nobody has ever come to us and said, this is a really lousy idea, but I hope you'll at least consider it. They're all great ideas. They're all going to change your life some point or the other. We have to decide out of all of those things in front of us, which ones are best. And you have to do the same. There is a host of things in front of you that can occupy your time, your energy, your emotions, your finances, all of those things. God, would you help me to choose in the midst of all of that which ones are best? They care for the interests of other people. You know and I know, but sometimes we forget. It's not about me. And it's not about you, by the way. It is about him and about other people. There's a book called I Am Third, which basically says that Jesus is first, others are second, I am third. Father, help me to be the kind of person that doesn't only look for the interest of myself or doesn't even look first for the interest of myself, but to the lives of other people. They live, number three, a life of integrity. They are what they say they are. You are who you are when no one else sees. You are who you are, and you're okay with who you are when you look in the mirror. And the people who know you best know that, that you really are genuine. You're not putting something on. You're not trying to be who you're not. And the people who know you best are the ones who can be really honest to say, 
What I see and what others see is either the same or different. Which one do you want? They keep their word, number four. What they say they do, they will do. Number five, they develop and use their gifts and their time well. They develop and use their gifts and their time well. Each one of you should use whatever spiritual gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administrating God's grace. Nobody was standing behind the door when God was passing out gifts. He gave every single one of us a gift. And what he wants us to do is steward it well, to manage it well. Make the most, Ephesians 5, 16, of every opportunity because the days are evil. In light of Psalm 139, which I am fearfully and wonderfully made, created by my creator. In light of Ephesians chapter 2, I and you are God's masterpiece. That's why life is so valuable. Before we ever appeared on this earth, God formed us. We are who we are in the womb. And all of a sudden we come out and God begins to shape us and, and mold us and desiring for us to be everything he designed already for us to be. If God spent so much time designing us and shaping us and then gifting us, i got to believe he has a number of things that he wants us to do, which is why I love Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You were created in Christ Jesus. You are his masterpiece, created to do good works. And those who really want to walk a consistent life understand that. They want to use their time. They want to use their resources well. Bill Ives wrote a book a number of years ago called Volunteer Revolution, and people were coming to him and saying to him, why is it okay for us as church people to invite people who are already busy to join us in a number of ministries that we're asking them to do? And he said, to be honest with you, I'd never apologize for that. Because you and I have the opportunity to invite people on a journey that God has given to us to change the world. You may be doing that where you are and where you work, and you find tremendous satisfaction in that. But you and I have the opportunity to partner with God and joining with him and using our gifts and our resources to literally see people's lives change forever. You and I were created by God to join him on a mission. God is not hanging around at the end of the universe somewhere listening to great Christian music. Almost as if God has his sleeves rolled up, which is funny that I would this morning, working 24-7, asking us to use our gifts and our grace and all that we've been given, fill his, already filled with his grace and his mercy and his power to reclaim and redeem and fix this planet. God is asking us to use our talents, our resources, our time, and our passion to change people's lives forever. Now, if you're chasing after the wind... You just keep right on doing that. But you and I have the opportunity to partner with God to transform this hurting planet. What would it be like to lay your head on a pillow each night to say, I partnered with God to change a life? I partnered with God to do something significant. Now, others may look at that and say, well, that wasn't that big. It doesn't matter. I partnered with God to do something significant in the lives of people. Whatever that may be. If you need help discerning that, discovering that, we would love to do that. I feel like God is asking me to do this. I feel like God is asking me to do that. We will give you a list of options for you to serve and to use your time and talents for God. The desire is to be an opportunity or for to us to have an opportunity to change human beings forever. 
We can suffocate that desire and selfishness. We can silence it with the clatter of competing demands. Or we can bypass it on the fast track to personal achievement. Every churchgoer has a choice to make. Either they can come, park in their usual spot in the parking lot, make their way to their favorite row, and you and I both know which ones are your favorite rows because you're sitting in them this morning. Pretty much every Sunday, I know which ones they are. You can hear a good service, chat with your friends, and go home. That's a safe Sunday morning choice. Or you can throw yourself into this adventure with God, joining of like-minded servants and help build the kingdom of God, and you and I get to be a part of that. Now, I don't know about you, but that's something I want to use my gifts for. That's something that the juices of my life I want to be spent on. To partner with God and being able to see people's lives change for all eternity. Number six, they manage their money and their resources well. They manage their money and their resources well. Luke 16, you got to read the whole context to fully get it. But basically, God is saying, if you haven't been faithful in handling worldly wealth, how can I trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful in handling worldly wealth, how can I trust you with true riches? Giving is a biblical principle all the way through Scripture. Now, if you go to visit a church, or if you talk to a friend about visiting a church or coming to a church, I guarantee you at some point they're going to say, well, I'm not really sure I want to come because all churches talk about is money and giving. Right? Have you ever heard anybody tell you that when you've invited them to church? All right, a few of you have. When you come to CAC, that's not true. If you've been a part of CAC, you will be able to testify or testify that's not true. But it is a biblical principle all the way through Scripture. From Abraham giving a tenth of his possessions in Genesis chapter 14 to Jacob doing the same thing in Genesis chapter 28. At the end of the New Old Testament, Malachi is indicating that we're robbing God by not bringing our tithe to the storehouse, which is the church. Paul gives instructions all the way through the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9, basically saying the same things. One of the responsibilities we have is to make sure that we use our resources well. And one of the first places that our resources ought to go is to God's storehouse. So that I take my hands off, I recognize by my giving that every single thing I have has been entrusted to me by God. Not only the time and the air that I breathe, not only the home that I have or whatever that may be, my resources have been entrusted to me by God. And I want to manage those resources well. And I recognize all the way through the Word of God that one of the things He asked me to do is to bring 10% or at least start with that base to the storehouse. Jesus doesn't talk so much about the 10% per se because basically He's dealing with people who said, okay, I'm giving my 10%, I'm good. He's saying, no, if you do it only for that reason, you're missing a point. It's not specifically about a number. It's about the fact that I recognize everything I has has come, have has come to me from God. And I'm acknowledging that by what I do with my tithe and my offerings. You've heard the phrase tithes and offerings, right? Tithe is the base. Offerings is beyond that. Whatever I'm doing with that, whether it be a ministry or whatever it is that I'm doing. So I recognize by what I do, I do that. Now, every Sunday morning here at Community Alliance, we take an offering. A plate passes in front of you. Some of you look to your left, look to your right, and say, well, I'm giving, but they're not. No, you don't do that. 
But what you don't know or may not know is that they're giving online. Or maybe they're giving every other week. Or maybe they're giving once a month. I know I've told you the story before when I started my first church. Uh, we were on what's called free will offering. In other words, whatever was in a blue envelope was our salary for that week. So the treasurer would take some for the church. She would take other color of envelope for the ministry of missions. And then she would give us, I think it was a blue envelope. And we'd go home and count it up. When I got home and we counted it up, I thought, I just died and went to heaven. This is an amazing amount of money. The sermon wasn't that good. And I'm in my first full-time ministry church. Next Sunday, it wasn't near as good. Third Sunday, it wasn't near as good as all. Fourth Sunday, it wasn't hardly anything. And I thought, how could I be that bad four Sundays in a row? I mean, how could I let that go that way? Treasure came to me and oh, said, by the way, I forgot to tell you that almost everybody gives the first Sunday of the month. That would have been nice to know before I started doing my budget. <laughs> Some people give every other week. That would have been nice to know as well. It's not a matter of recognizing what people do beside me or around me. It's recognizing my obligation to take my hands off and to support the ministries of what God is doing. In our case, one of your first priorities is here. If you and I are regular givers, regular attenders at Community Alliance Church, we get the opportunity to regularly and consistently, however you do that, to support what God is doing here through our ministries, doing that as we touch lives around the world. Now, if you cannot support us, then you need to find a church that you believe in enough to support it. That's as lovingly as and honestly as I know how to say it because you and I get blessed when we do that. So I'm telling you that for your blessing, that if you cannot support us, then you need to find a church that you believe in enough to want to support what God is doing so that you can be blessed by doing that. Number seven, they recognize and obey the voice of God. Fascinating story in the book of Samuel. And one of the saddest phrases, I think, is in the book of Samuel when Eli, the priest, has to honestly be aware of the fact that God has been speaking and he didn't recognize it. God had been communicating, trying to get his attention and trying to get young Samuel's attention, and he didn't recognize it. And there's a statement that seems to indicate the voice of God was rare in those days. And so those who really understand how to walk consistently all the way to the end get to the point where they not only understand the voice of God, they recognize when he speaks, and they do what he tells them to do. 1 Samuel 2.35 is one I have in here for you. I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do whatever it is I tell him to do. Do you hear and understand the voice of God? Do you know when God speaks? Those who are wanting to walk consistently all the way to the end want to be in a place where they're aware of the voice of God. I recognize what it sounds like. Now, you've heard me say before that the voice of the Holy Spirit and your wife's voice sound a lot alike, and that is true. But I'm aware, I, I understand, I hear and I recognize what it's like to have God speak to me. A couple of months, I love to do a sermon on understanding and hearing, being able to differentiate the voice of God, so I can't do all that today in a message. But those who want to walk consistently are saying, God, I want to be in a place where I know that it's you speaking. And more than that I know that it's you speaking, I want to do what you're asking me to do. I want to be obedient to that voice. 
Number eight, they pass on what they have learned. The things, 2 Timothy, the things you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful friends. The things you have heard me say in the presence of a lot of people and trust to reliable people who will, teach, who will qualify others and be qualified to teach others. In other words, what I'm learning, I'm passing on. I'm not holding this for myself. I'm not keeping it to me. I want to give it away. I want to live my life with open hands. What God has entrusted in my hands, I want to live with open hands. I want to pass on what I have learned to other people. Tony Campolo did a book a years ago called Who Switched the Price Tags? Which basically he said, it doesn't seem to make sense to me. The things that some people say are valuable really aren't. And the things they should really valuable don't seem that. Who switched the price tag to say what's really important, what isn't? In that process, he asked 100 people if you had the opportunity to live your life all over again, who lived to be over 100, what would you do different? One, I would reflect more, they said. Number two, I would risk more. And number three, I would do more things that would live on after I die. I would reflect more. One of the books that I read years ago says we, spend so, we, do, we don't spend enough time to celebrate the victories or mourn the losses, which is what reflection is all about. We get so consumed with the busyness and the hecticness of our life that we just move to the next event and the next circumstance. And every so often, not just at Christmas or a birthday or whenever you may do that, where you just stop long enough to reflect. And what it is that you've either learned through the day or this week or what God taught you or what lessons you're learning. I've learned to stop long enough every once in a while, periodically on a regular basis, just to reflect on what God did, what I have learned, what he's doing. I want to risk more, they said, and I want to make sure that I do things that will live on well after I die. How are you investing in the lives of other people who are following after you? I do a lot of funerals, as you can well imagine. It's one of my responsibilities of being a pastor. I've done probably 240 weddings and almost 500 funerals. And one of the things that I look at when I'm doing a funeral of somebody, in this case it was Wen Weirich, whose body was laid out here on Thursday afternoon, is the people that have come behind him or behind her, whoever that may be, that are now picking up and, and have learned and have grown and are following after God and talk about that individual, the impact they had on their life, that the next generation and the next generation is following after that. What are you doing to invest in the lives of people well after you're gone from this world? So how do I cultivate that? Your sermon notes, determined to live a life of character. The key word is what? Determined. It's a decision. I'm going to determine, I want to live a life of character. I want to be able to end it all by saying, I am a faithful servant, have been a faithful servant. And I want to hear him say that, not because he's supposed to, but because it was true. So I've determined, and I will determine, to live a life of character. It's a decision. There are basically two kinds of people in life. Those who are emotionally driven and those who are character driven. Emotionally driven people do what they feel like doing. If I feel like doing it, I will. If I don't, I won't. A basic motivating factor in life is their feelings. Some of the greatest opportunities of life will pass us by because we didn't feel like taking advantage of it. There's a great line in your sermon notes. Success has very little to do with how brilliant you are, which side of the tracks you're born on, what breaks you've had in life. It has to do with the fact that you and I do what's right, whether we feel like it or not, because we know it's right. 
Jesse Owens, the Olympic champion from years ago, said there's something that can happen to every single athlete and every human being, really. The instinct to slack off, to give in to pain, to give less than our best, and the hope to win through luck or my opponent not doing their best, instead of giving it everything we've got. Life, he said, is a marathon, finishing well, and finishing is what it's all about. And secondly, continue. Once I decide to make right choices, then continue to make consistent right choices. The more inconsistent and unfaithful you and I are, the higher the odds that you will always fail. Faithful people fail. Consistent people lose at times. But there's a major difference between an occasional failure and one who gives in or gives up. Paul said, I can't give up. I don't want to quit early in 1 Corinthians 9. i got to stay focused and disciplined unless I myself end up being a castaway. Galatians chapter 6, I don't want to ever get weary in well-doing. Hebrews 12, that's in your sermon notes. Look, in light of all the people who watch my life, in all the people who have gone on before me, because I'm surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses who have seen what I have done, I want to throw off everything that hinders me and the sin that so easily trips me up. And I want to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus. Pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned at shame, sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you and I will not grow weary and lose heart. Once a month here, we celebrate communion. Most of the time, it fits into the context of the message. Today just happens to be one of those. Where you and I are about to take these two elements that represent what Jesus did for us on the cross. You'll notice when you hold that tray, it has the bread in the middle and a cup surrounding it. It is ordinary bread. A really good recipe that we have found through the years. And it's Welch's grape juice around the edges. There's nothing mystical or magical about the bread or the cup. But what they symbolize is enormous. They symbolize the gift that God has given us through Jesus in Him giving His life so that you and I can have life and that we can draw life from Him. That I don't have to worry about trying to find life in my achievements and the accolades of life or my resources or my fine. I can find life in Him. And in Him, I can find life to the full. And by the way, because of Him, I get eternal life. It's a win-win all the way around. The cup represents his shed blood, shed on the cross so that you and I can have forgiveness. That our sins can be washed away and we have the opportunity to start fresh with him. Now, every time you hold those things, you are taking the opportunity to remember what he did. You're not getting saved all over again. You're not starting all over again, but it's an opportunity to remember what he did for you and I. Now, the only requirement to partake of this here is that you know Jesus as your Savior. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a member of any church. But we know Christ is your Savior. You're a member of his church. And you're free and able to partake. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this would be a good day to do that. To acknowledge your sin, to recognize that He is the answer to life.
and I receive him into my life and you share this particular moment. When we do it at moments like this in light of a message, it's an opportunity for me when I hold these elements and I, like Paul, in light of what you've done for me, it's only reasonable, Romans 12 said, that I give you everything. My time, my talents, my resources, my passions, my desires, I give it to you knowing that you will use them far better than I will. So when you hold these elements this morning, just reflect for a while. God, I really do want to finish well. I want to be consistent. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Help me to make the right choices along the way. Knowing that I may mess up every once in a while like we all do, but when it's all said and done, I've been able to walk into your presence, eyes wide open, looking you straight in the eye given it my all and I've given it my best we've got communion stores all over the audience I'm going to ask them if they'll come down and they're going to distribute these elements all the way through the audience and then what I'd love for you to do is help the person beside you if necessary and then hold them for a while and spend some time with Jesus and then I will come back up and lead you in that time of sharing it together